You're on Radio 1, 91 FM, Overgrown, New Zealand's one and only cannabis-themed radio show. We've got a big show for you tonight. We've got some great guests in the studio, kicking it old school with Paul. And we've got Victoria Catherwood, one of the people we interviewed last week uh, behind the medical cannabis educational resource documentary now medical cannabis has been in the news a lot this week uh we had our government announce quite cynically that they're legalizing medical cannabis supposedly well a couple pharmaceutical pills that is um but it comes at an odd time because it was just a week or two ago that they were treating a legitimate medical cannabis user very harshly. And it's very interesting, uh, the parallels of this story with the topical news of Trump's Muslim ban. This type of travel ban of certain types of people that, uh, you know, look a little different or may choose uh, to practice certain beliefs, uh, it really, really has strange parallels. So I'm going to play this clip from Washington State Governor Jay Inslee responding to Trump's Muslim ban. And see what you think if that reminds you of the story of film producer Mitch Stein. Have a listen. We have a family here today who I just met, a citizen of the United States. Donald Trump administration allowed her husband to get on a plane in Vienna, waiting to get in the arms of his wife but didn't let him go the six feet across this gate to embrace his wife. What type of cruel attitude based on demagoguery and fear does that to people? Indeed, what kind of attitude of demagoguery and fear? Well, we're going to be speaking right now. We have Mitch Stein and his wife, Barry, on the phone, Mitch on Skype. Barry on the phone because they were split up. That same type of uh, non-compassionate, cynical attitude taken by New Zealand's own Border Patrol. You know, we're very high and mighty about how ludicrous uh, the U.S. authorities are treating people right now. Well, we treated some United States citizens just the same way over trying to import medical cannabis in good faith. We covered uh, just the other week the story of Mitch Stein, how he thought he was following all the rules bringing medical cannabis to New Zealand. Uh, But since he had packed his bags, the law had been quietly changed. Uh, But the response of our authorities wasn't, uh, oh, honest mistake, you know, let's see what we can do. It was one of extreme demonization and demagoguery, just like we heard in the audio clip. and severe overreaction, they ended up searching the entire family, splitting up the father from the mother and son, and then deporting the father. Uh, Let's start with you, Mitch. How are you doing? Uh, You're back in uh, California. Thank you very much for having me. So you're back in California now. Why don't you just um, recount firsthand you know, how it all went down, and uh, you're with us too, Barry. Chime in at any moment uh, if you, you know, want to add, you know, how you were seeing it at the time. 
Thank I you. should uh, <clears throat> point out that I am speaking to you from California, and my wife is speaking to you from New Zealand. Uh, we were supposed to be on a three-week trip together to visit our son, and two weeks ago, we arrived in Auckland. I had done research prior to the trip <clears throat> to see if there was a possibility of bringing my medicine with me. I am a medical cannabis patient here in California where it is completely legal for me to possess and use cannabis with certain limits, but the research that I did prior to our trip to New Zealand suggested in everything that I read that it would be okay for me to bring my medicine as long as I met a couple of requirements. And those requirements were pretty clear. Number one, I could only bring in the amount of cannabis that I am legally able to have prescribed to me by a doctor. Um, number two, I have to, well, basically after number one, once I found out that I could do that, I knew that I had to have my doctor prescription. So I made sure that I had a stamped copy accompanying the medical cannabis that I had with me. And I declared the cannabis on the customs card, fully believing that it was legal to bring it in based on the law that had up until very recently stated that. So when I arrived in Auckland, I filled out the customs card and I declared on the card that I was bringing cannabis in. Well, certainly when we landed and went to customs uh, and got in line and I again told the agent uh, when he said, do you have anything to declare? I said, yes, I'm declaring cannabis. Well, he and the agent next to him, I don't think had ever heard anybody say that before. So they were stumped. Then they brought uh, me and my wife over to the holding area where a uh, customs agent came out <clears throat> and asked if, in fact, I had declared the cannabis. And I said, yes, I, I understood that the law is that if I am arriving as a medical patient who has medicine with me that has been legally prescribed to me where I live, uh, that I am able to legally bring it in as long as I provide all of that documentation. At which point I was informed that the law evidently changed last month. Well, now we're in February technically, so two months ago. Um, and that now it was completely illegal for anyone to bring in any cannabis except for what he described as the three approved strains of cannabis. So. I asked him, what are those strains? And he rattled off the names of some um, pharmaceutical pills. And uh, so I knew at that point that things were possibly gonna go south. So he said, uh, boy, you know, that, that cannabis you brought really smells potent. And I said, well, yes, it's supposed to, it's medicine. And medicine is supposed to be potent. That's the whole idea of medicine. I mean, I said it very respectfully, because the entire time, you know, my wife and I were very conscious of not wanting to make waves. Once we found out that there might be a problem, uh, you know, we obviously wanted to toe the line and follow direction. And there was a, a cameraman there in customs who introduced himself as a cameraman for the TV show Border Patrol. And would it be okay if he filmed what was going on? Well, as somebody who and I need to back up a little bit because when he introduced himself to us, I had not yet been told that it was no longer for me to be legal bringing it in. So when the cameraman said, can I shoot this for Border Patrol? I thought, 
Well, that's actually not a bad idea because then they can see how law-abiding citizens mm-hmm. who are legally prescribed medicine and who declare their medicine at the border are treated compassionately. Mm. So I think it probably wouldn't be a bad thing. Well, things turned south pretty quickly, and the agent came out to inform me that since the law had just changed, and since I had declared the cannabis, and since it was not one of the three approved strains, I was therefore in violation of the law. And at that point, he sat us down and started to go through our luggage. Um, and basically took things out of our luggage haphazardly and put them into different piles uh, with no rhyme or reason whatsoever, with no real explanation, other than we assumed that since the word cannabis was mentioned, all of a sudden they wanted to make sure that there wasn't anything else in our suitcases. And of course, we weren't worried about that because all I had done was declared my legal medicine, or mm. so I thought. So. Of course, the customs agent didn't find anything. Meanwhile, while we were waiting there, and you know, this whole process took probably three or so hours in customs while we sat there and they went through our stuff and made us wait and went off into another uh, room to talk. But during that time, a police officer came by and told us with kind of a smile on his face, um, look, you know, I've reviewed the situation. It's very clear here that this was a totally honest error on your part. Uh, The law did just change, so technically it is considered a drug intercept at this point. But as far as the police are concerned, there is no crime that has been committed. And as far as we're concerned, there's no reason to press charges or do anything else. And at that point, he offered to accompany us to the immigration office to tell them that on behalf of the police, they considered that no crime has been committed. So he did, in fact, go with us. But before he did, the the customs agent said, okay, now we have to go to immigration, pack your suitcases up. Well, at that point, he had thrown our our belongings, including a whole bunch of items that we had purchased and packed for our son and packed into our suitcase. He had taken all of those things out and put them in indiscriminate piles. So when we were told, hey, come on, we got to go to immigration, We just took all of those piles and threw them into whatever suitcase had the the most space, not caring, you know, into which suitcase we were repacking those items. And I mentioned that just because it comes into play in a few minutes. Um, We were escorted up to the immigration office where, again, we were made to wait for several hours. The agent came out and interviewed me for a little while. And then after several hours, including telling my wife that she was also going to be interviewed, the policeman who had helped us earlier reappeared at the office and expressed surprise that we were still there. He he seemed to not understand why we were still there. And of course, we had no idea why we were still there. But at some point, the agent with whom I had been working the entire time, the immigration agent, told my wife that she was no longer a, quote, person of interest and therefore was able to go into the airport uh, terminal. She said, no, I want to wait with my husband. We're a team. We came on this trip together. Uh, You know, I I will wait with him here. The agent would not allow her to wait with me and told her that she had to go take her suitcase and go into the airport lobby. So she took her suitcase, which, of course, contained some of my items and left some of her items with my suitcase still in the immigration office. And 
they made her wait for several hours while she was very upset by the situation. And the agent took me into the room and again interviewed me. Um, and at the end of the interview, read me some boilerplate language saying, since you have been, since you are guilty of uh, importing drugs into this country, uh, you are being denied entrance into this country and will be put on the next flight out of here. So I got really upset at that point because I had followed what I thought to be the letter of the law. I was not smuggling anything. They had confiscated my medicine. I said, keep the medicine. I'm not, tr I'm not gonna you know, fight you to get it back, but don't ruin this, you know, our very first trip to New Zealand. We've, we've been saving money for a long time and carved out this time to spend three weeks with our son touring the country. You know, don't tear our family apart and ruin this vacation over this. Uh, you know, I'm not I'm not bringing explosives into the country. I'm not bringing heroin into the country. I'm not bringing poisons like alcohol or tobacco into the country. I'm bringing a naturally occurring, non-addictive, non-lethal plant that is considered medicine. And so under no circumstances can you look at this and consider me a drug smuggler. Well, that wasn't good enough. And I was told that given the amount that I had brought in. Now, to be clear, I am legally allowed to possess up to eight ounces of dried cannabis here in California. I brought less than two ounces for my own medicinal needs with a value of about $300. So here I am at, at now maybe eight or nine hours into the ordeal being told by the immigration agent that I am guilty of importing drugs and because of the amount that I had brought in and because the law had just changed, technically I was now uh, able to be charged with intent to distribute. So essentially what he's saying is, you know, I have now spent many thousands of dollars and jeopardized my trip to smuggle $300 worth of cannabis in. And I declared it. But none of that mattered. And I said, well, you know, at least let me give these things that my wife and I brought for our son to her. If you're going to kick me out of the country, let me at least give her her clothes. You know, she had shoes that were put into my suitcase. We had items for our son. They would not allow me to see her, to say goodbye to her, to give her any of the items that we had brought for our son. And so when you play that clip at the top of this interview, it, you know, it sent shivers down my spine because I will not in good conscience compare my situation, which was a lapse in judgment, to the situation of, of families being torn apart because of their religious beliefs. I don't, I'm not saying that my situation is the same. I take full responsibility for my actions. Hindsight being 2020, I could have, and in hindsight should have, double-checked New Zealand's laws 10 minutes before I left the house. It honestly did not occur to me because of the research that I had done and because of the clear law that stated as long as I was legally prescribed, et cetera, I'd be able to bring it in. But, you know, this is a situation in which I find myself, in which my family finds themselves over something that is beyond my comprehension. So there's a long, drawn-out overview of what happened to me two weeks ago in New Zealand. Well, that is a uh, 
a shocking description, and there's a couple of things I want to drill into there, uh, but we've got your wife, Barry, on the phone as well, and I just want to speak to you for a minute, Barry. I mean, we've heard all of the sordid details of how it went down, but from my understanding, when you declare something uh, at customs, say you've brought some, you know, fruit that you're not supposed to uh, or some type of uh, camping equipment... When you declare it, they inspect it, and if it's falling foul of the regulations of what you're allowed to import, they normally confiscate it. There's an amnesty bin for you to put it in uh, if they determine that it is not something you should be bringing in. And by declaring it, you're sort of entering that amnesty zone where you're not committing a crime. That's how I would have thought that Customs would have treated it. Now, Barry, you were on, uh, you know the receiving end of of this terseness and just sort of cut loose in New Zealand is there anything you want to add from your perspective of how it felt well first of all i want to echo what mitch said that in no way are we comparing our experience and what happened to us with the muslim ban which is disgraceful and horrific and so we don't compare our situation to that But I, too, got a chill up my spine when I heard the clip that you played. Um, Because the treatment that we received was not just humiliating, but traumatizing as well. As Mitch said, you know, they basically ripped our family apart. And for what? And the treatment that we received was actually uh, far worse than the way Mitch described it in customs we were not only searched um, in uh, the most thorough way imaginable, we were interrogated like criminals. We were asked the most personal questions um, that had nothing to do with the issues. And this is all at 5.30 in the morning after an all-night flight. We were kept waiting for hours without being given any information as to why. We were forbidden from calling our son to let him know we would be late to meet him or to notify him that we were being delayed at all. We were forbidden from contacting anyone. Um, And uh, the same thing happened when we were brought up to immigration. We were left there for hours without any indication of what was going to happen or why we were being treated the way we were being treated. And Mitch mentioned that, you know, the the show, the reality show Border Patrol was being filmed. I was shocked that Customs seemed to allow full access to this reality TV show to shoot our plight. Mitch mentioned that he had given approval to the uh, cameraman, but when asked, I specifically had said, Mitch can do whatever he wants, but I feel very strongly that I do not want to be filmed for any reason at any time, even if you blur out my face, and so please do not do that. And I actually caught the cameraman recording us without letting us know he was being recorded first and I told him to turn off the recording he 
gained access to the immigration holding cell and followed the immigration, followed the customs official into immigration, he seemed to have the passcode to get in and out of the immigration holding cell. He staged interviews with the officers, um, even having the customs official leave immigration twice because the first exit wasn't apparently dramatic enough and they needed as his second take. And the whole thing was just, it was like some bizarre nightmare, um, all of which was being captured on film. And then at the very end, when when they wouldn't even let us say goodbye to each other, when they wouldn't even let him kiss me goodbye, or give the presents that we had brought for specifically to give our son without rhyme or reason, it was just, um, it was extremely, extremely traumatizing. Um, and none of it made sense. None of it made sense. I was the one who had to call my son and give him the news. And he's been living here for several months now. And he was absolutely shocked at what he called the lack of human decency in the way that we were treated. Well, and not only the lack of human decency, but to me, uh, what stands out is the lack of principles of natural justice, uh, which are enshrined in our laws. And there seems to be a misunderstanding uh, with some of the customs officials about what's actually supposed to happen when you declare your medicine, um, let alone the fact that it was a legitimate misunderstanding. So... The legal aspects of this case are quite disturbing, and I feel like, well, you mentioned, Barry, uh, you know, multiple takes for dramatic effect. Do you think that there was some element of customs and immigration hamming it up for the camera people? And I guess what really comes out to me, what, what is, is obvious to me as someone who's been following, you know, the ins and outs of cannabis law reform here in New Zealand for over a decade, uh, you guys are being used as pawns in a psychological offensive against cannabis users in New Zealand. Uh, you know, our government, our Ministry of Health, never wanted to allow cannabis medicines. They never wanted to acknowledge that the loophole existed, and they were very, very upset when it was publicized widely and, you know, people were started talking about coming to New Zealand with cannabis or New Zealanders going back and getting medical cannabis and bringing it back. And it was only in that the context of that media environment where the authorities wanted people to feel afraid and to respect prohibition, and that was breaking down, that they needed a new dramatic example. And that's why they withdrew the loophole the way they did, and that's why they, um, you know, felt like they needed to make it very clear. Uh, unfortunately, you being the first person to come through and legitimately declare since the change, uh, but the coincidence of Border Patrol being there as well in what was nakedly a psychological operation on behalf of Customs, um, yeah, I wonder, did you guys feel like um, it was being hyped up for effect? I, I felt that way with regard to the customs officials. I did not feel that way with regard to the police or in immigration. 
Um, but certainly with the customs officials, it seemed that way. The cameramen followed them into areas where no one else had access, not even us. And um, they would stand there and interview them and say, what are you doing now and what's going to happen next? All the while without giving us the courtesy of that information. Um, it felt very strange and very staged. Um, and and the particularly ironic part of all of this is law enforcement, the police, specifically said, we do not see this as a criminal matter. At most, it's just a misunderstanding. And I'll go with you to immigration to explain it to them. You should be out of here in relatively short order. When he came back a couple hours later and saw us still there without even having been interviewed, he turned white as a sheet and looked genuinely shocked. And this was the police. So, it, you know, it was a bureaucratic nightmare, to say the least. And it seemed like one branch didn't know what the other was doing. Well, and is this the message we really want to send to the world, you know, that this is how we treat our visitors? Um, you know, Trump's Muslim ban is uh, entirely reprehensible and bigoted, uh, but at least a certain percentage of the population agrees with it, even though they're wrong. With this, nobody agrees that this is the appropriate way uh, to treat the situation. And I want to drill down now into the legal aspects of the case because, Mitch, uh, you know, you were used as a psychological pawn on behalf of customs, but they went too far and they really stepped in it. And it was really ever since they rescinded uh, or, you know, mentioned subtly that they were changing the interpretation of this loophole uh, that, you know, we as activists were waiting for someone like you to come along because that was what it was going to take for this um, declaration to be judicially reviewed and for someone uh, with some actual legal standing to weigh in and say, this is how the law is written, this is in fact what it means. And what it really hinges on is the idea of the medicine being lawfully prescribed overseas. Now, our customs department is saying they've gotten advice from the DEA that no medical cannabis can be lawfully supplied unless it's FDA approved. Well, no medical cannabis products are, in fact, FDA approved. Funnily enough, just this week, our government announced they were streamlining the process to allow easier access to medical cannabis, taking away the requirement for direct approval from our associate health minister. The products that they're making it easier to access are not approved by the FDA. So why is our well, government... If I, if I may, let me just interject for a moment, and I'm sorry to interrupt, but you did mention the, the Minister of Health, and I, I know that uh, Associate Minister of Health Dunn, I believe, Peter Dunn, mm. has said, he's admitted that the synthetic cannabis, cannabis pills that are pe being passed off as cannabis are far more dangerous than actual cannabis. And I think that's a telling thing right there when you have one of your top health officials saying that, yes, synthetic, quote unquote, cannabis is more of a serious health risk to New Zealand citizens than is actual cannabis. And I use the word actual cannabis because, as I mentioned a few minutes ago, the customs agent who commented, 
oh, it smells really potent. I mean, it was clear that he's never smelled cannabis in his life. Mm. And this is the, the misinformation. I Believe me, I don't relish being the guy who got caught, <laughs> you know, being the first guy coming through. I, I really, not for a second, do I relish it. However, as someone who is an activist in my country, when I see injustice being done, not only see it being done, but feel it in my gut because it's happening to me yeah. over something like this, I mean, the legal questions are almost a smokescreen, not to use that term, <laughs> but they are somewhat of a smokescreen to the bottom line in this, which is until societies you know, take a step back and understand why something should be criminalized, um, we're going to continue to fight this. And I, I don't want to distract from the important, you know, legal aspect that you're trying to hit. I'm not an attorney. My wife is an attorney, but she doesn't practice in New Zealand. So you'd have to, you know, likely speak with, with a New Zealand attorney about New Zealand law. However, I can speak to you and, and my wife can speak with you to you as first-time visitors to your country who were, based upon your newly changed laws, uh, torn apart. And I was treated like a terrorist. I was treated like an actual smuggler who's bringing, you know, weapons or heroin or whatever into the country. And to me, I don't care what the country is. You know, there's this, you're either treating people with decency and compassion and fairness, or you're not. And in this case, clearly, we were not treated with fairness and decency and compassion. So the legal questions that you might raise, I think, are very important. But none of us should lose sight of the underlying factor that what we're really talking about here is the criminalization of a naturally occurring, non-addictive, non-lethal plant with many benefits. Now, I'm not, I know to a certain extent that I'm on the show being interviewed and preaching to the choir. <laughs> My guess is that most of your listeners are on our side. Definitely. But to the people who aren't, if there's even one person who's listening, who has the ability to step back and take a look at the situation and understand that hypocrisy isn't doesn't follow any geographic borders. It just doesn't. And this whole issue that we're talking about right now has to do with hypocrisy. I mean, I can let I can let my wife talk about the law in the states if it applies, but there's a much larger issue here than laws, in my opinion, and in the opinion of many people who look at science and facts. And so I, I don't want to distract you from your, you know, from your, the path that you were taking. But when you mentioned the Minister of Health, and Peter Dunn himself has admitted that synthetic cannabis is far more harmful than actual cannabis, it's very telling. And I don't think anybody should lose track of that. Well, you're absolutely right. I mean, uh, we know the truth, uh, all and our listeners as well. Uh, and we are winning the argument. Uh, you know, we've got momentum behind us, uh, well, and the truth, uh, as a matter of fact. But... You know, we don't want to let the government, uh, you know, kicking their own goal go wasted. And so when they really put their foot in it this way and, you know, um, rob, you know, sympathetic people of their basic human dignity, um, we have to make sure that, you know, they're held to account for that and that they pay the consequences. Uh, you have teamed up, um, I'm not sure how officially, but I know you've been at least had some correspondence with legal powerhouse here in New Zealand, Sue Gray. 
the woman who was uh, responsible for originally opening that loophole. And this was exactly the type of case that she was waiting for to be able to have an actual defendant uh, on behalf of which to go to a judge and seek to have this, you know, declaration by customs that only FDA approval is good enough uh, to have that be judicially reviewed and uh, hopefully in that case declared null and void and going back to how you thought it was when the loophole was originally open. Uh, do you have any information about how that's proceeding? Is there any avenue for you to seek redress Especially considering I feel like they didn't quite follow the the actual appropriate protocol by, um, you know, accusing you of being a criminal when you, in fact, declared in the amnesty zone. Well, there is certainly that. And, um, you know, they there are many, many ways in which they did not, in my opinion, and I, I'm sure in Barry's opinion, uh, follow through with what should have been the proper protocol. For example, not once during the 11 or 12 hours that I had, I was detained, not once. And I, and some of these things I only realized upon retrospect because it was such a surreal experience in the mm. midst of it that mm. I honestly didn't have all of the wits about me that I might otherwise have had. But yep. one of the things that I realized after the fact, not once in all of those hours did anyone from any department inform me of any sort of rights that I had. If I if I wanted to talk with an attorney, uh, I don't know what the laws are in New Zealand, but in the states, if you're detained or if you're you know accused of a crime, you know you read what are called your rights, your Miranda rights. You have the right to remain silent. You have the right to an attorney. You know if you can't afford one, one will be appointed for you. I don't know the exact text, Barry could probably recite it. It's my point being that nobody in this in this 12 hours that I was ultimately detained told me any of that. I was never provided with any paperwork at all having to do with this whole experience. The only thing that I did was I was mugshot. You know, I they took my photograph and they put my fingerprints into the system and canceled the visa on my passport. So now in addition to everything else, if I want to travel someplace, the officials in those countries will see that, guess what, I'm a drug smuggler, and I've been, you know, denied entrance into New Zealand. So I now I have that label going for me. You know, thanks, Customs and Immigration of New Zealand. Well, so now... I mean, seriously, it's, it's ludicrous. It's, did, it's beyond ludicrous. And do you know, I mean, is there any appetite on your behalf to, say, sue New Zealand Customs or... Um, Look, have this judicial review I, go forward? As I say, I, I did not embark upon this to purposely get captured at the border and become, you know, a media star. What, what I, 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 it's not my, you know, sitting here in California, I quite frankly am lucky to be sitting here in California because now that I see that the immigration department really doesn't care about context or human decency, I could just as easily have been charged with intent to distribute, and I could be in a New Zealand prison right now. So believe me, I feel very fortunate to be right here right now. In but fact, they told the me that if they couldn't get him a seat not, on an airplane... I'm not airplane. sitting here saying, okay, now I want to get compensated. I have reached out to several uh, ministers in the government, including uh, Minister Woodhouse of Immigration, and every department to whom I sent the same letter and appeal all said the same thing. Uh, we are forwarding your 
request on to Minister Woodhouse. So I contacted Minister Woodhouse's office and received a reply saying it's under review and they'll get back to me with a reply. Well, you know, it's been two weeks now since I was denied entrance into your country for nothing, for nothing, when you take a look at it. And, okay, Barry was trying to say something there. What were you saying, Barry? Oh, so Mitch was saying he's lucky that he's not in a prison, but they actually told him that if they couldn't find him a seat on a flight back within 24 hours, he was going to prison. So they did. And they refused to give him his passport until they personally escorted him. They found him a seat. They personally escorted him to the gate without allowing him to have his passport. When he got to the gate, they gave his passport to the gate agent and instructed the gate agent not to give him his passport until he landed in the United States. So, I mean, his his fears about being in a prison were very real. This wasn't just, oh, gee, I could be sitting in a prison right now. That was the threat. Even after the police had said, we do not consider this to be a criminal matter. Well... I really appreciate you guys uh, taking the time to come on our show and, you know, reliving the trauma. Uh, You know, I can hear the emotion in your voices uh, because we are not going to let this die. Um, You know, you are a historical figure now in the New Zealand cannabis movement, Mitch, whether you like it or not. And I happen to know Minister Woodhouse personally. Uh, He is a member for Dunedin. Uh, we campaign together every election when I stand for the Legalized Cannabis Party, and he stands for the National Party. And in fact, I loaned him my personal copy of New Zealand's first cannabis legalization documentary that we had a hand in producing called Drug Laud. I know for a fact that he watched it. He also used to be the police minister. I know that he understands these arguments deeply. Now, obviously, he's not allowed to say that, in public, but we've had many private conversations, so he's not going to be able to fob you off because he's going to have to look me in the eye in his hometown, and that's the great thing about New Zealand and the way New Zealand politics works. That's why I've chosen to immigrate here and stay, despite these uh, draconian backwards other elements. Um, so this is not going to be the end of it, um, and we're we're really glad that you are a uh, justice-minded individual who is willing to stand up for yourself and get the story out. And um, we're going to rally behind you. And things always move sl- more slowly than people hope. Uh, but I, You know, I, I very much appreciate that, but I want to I clarify something. I'm not doing this, you know, on my behalf. I'm doing this on behalf of all of New Zealand. Thank I'm you. I'm doing it on behalf of all of America because and anywhere else where propaganda is the law of the land, I, you know, anybody who is listening to this, I think most people understand it, but maybe there are one or two people who just need a, a, a gentle reminder. Okay, so let me just make this gentle reminder to you so that you can understand context. Okay, I live in California, which is a state where since 1996, I believe it was, mm. the uh, residents of California voted to legalize medicinal cannabis. Why? Because, medicinal, because cannabis has been proven to be effective for a large number of maladies. You know, the most extreme of which is it, it, it can end epileptic seizures, okay? There are, 
It's great for pain relief. It's great for insomnia. It's great for appetite increase for, for cancer patients. The list goes on and on and on. So the, the proof, the, the evidence for the, the efficacy of cannabis is beyond refute, if I'm using that term correctly. However, and this is the thing that I keep trying to underscore to anyone and everyone who will listen. We are living in a time where you look around us and I look around me in my own country and as Barry pointed out a few minutes ago, it's utterly shameful what our excuse of the president is doing on our behalf. It's absolutely shameful. That said, if we look at this one issue, it has to do with civil rights, okay? So we could look at a lot of civil rights being trampled upon in countries all over the world and yours and in mine but when it comes down to civil liberties, this is the thing that I try to underscore. Okay, there in New Zealand, the drinking age is 18. As long as you're 18, you can go somewhere and buy alcohol. If you're 18, you can go somewhere and buy tobacco. Okay, these are completely legal substances. And they are substances that alter people's perception. And that's why people use them. However, Alcohol and tobacco are scientifically and medically lethal poisons. That's what they are. If you consume too much nicotine, if you consume too much tobacco, uh, alcohol, you will die. That's it. You know, these are lethal poisons that kill hundreds of thousands of people each and every year. There has never been a single recorded case of anyone ever dying from an overdose of cannabis. Not one, ever, in all of recorded history. So to demonize, you know, something that is 100% non-lethal while simultaneously making legal and promoting and celebrating alcohol and tobacco is the very definition of hypocrisy. And that's the one issue that I keep trying to hammer home to people. I don't want to be seen as some you know, stoner activist for cannabis. Not that there's anything wrong with that, but I want people who aren't consumers of cannabis to be willing to look at it in the same way that the world looks at substances like alcohol and tobacco. If it's okay for me as a human being to put a lethal poison into my body, then it should be okay for me to put a non-lethal substance into my body. And that's just, it really doesn't need to get more complicated than that. The fact is that cannabis here in the United States was legal up until Richard Nixon's reign, okay? And that's when the campaign of propaganda hit. That's when it, it became classified as a drug, and that began our horrible descent into propaganda and the horrific rise in violence and money going south of the border to Mexico because these ultra-violent drug cartels are taking over our national forests in order to grow cannabis to then sell to Americans because it's illegal, then those billions with a B, billions of dollars go south of the border each and every year instead of helping Americans. Well, it's the same everywhere where this non-lethal plant is criminalized unfairly and without justification. It is the, the criminalization of, of cannabis is directly responsible for an exponential rise and continuance of violence, of horrible situations in urban areas, you know, the list goes on and on. So I, I just, I ask that anybody listening to this, please do what you can to help people understand that context is everything. If people looked at context, we wouldn't be having this conversation right now because 
The powers that be in the immigration office would understand that I'm not a drug smuggler, <laughs> would understand that when I arrive with a prescription and declare it, that I'm not trying to smuggle or turn around and sell, you know, $300 worth of cannabis to <laughs> you know, New Zealand's residents while paying thousands of dollars to do so. I mean, the whole thing is intellectually offensive. But in any event, I'm, I'm sorry, I rambled there for a little bit, but I just, I want to make, I, I really want to hammer this home because, you know, you talk about the laws in New Zealand. Well, each and every one of those laws is based on that single piece of propaganda. There has never been a single case of cannabis overdose death in all of recorded history. That alone should be enough to end this conversation. There are more people who die every year from sugar and from ant bites than from cannabis. Well, uh, you know, I never want to end this conversation. I love talking about this stuff, but unfortunately we have to. But I do appreciate you joining us and Barry joining us. And uh, I think I might have to speak to Minister Woodhouse and uh, tell him that, you know, there's a critical skills shortage uh, for a co-host for this radio show. So maybe we can get you a visa. And uh, just FYI, that cannabis had more like a value of eight or nine hundred dollars on the street here in New Zealand, and probably would have been better than uh, most people had ever seen. But that's really uh, just a, a side note. But thanks so much for joining us, Mitch Barry. Uh, sorry that you had to live through that ordeal, but you know we're not going to let it go to waste. And you know the that loophole was really the only gleam of hope uh, for us. You know, still suffering stuck here under prohibition in New Zealand, having our civil rights violated. Uh, so anything to crack that wedge back open, uh, and, you know, it it was going to take a case like yours. We're sorry you had to endure it, uh, but we're glad that the ball is now rolling again and we're discussing this. And I'm glad that we got a chance to really, um, you know, record all this permanently uh, to really go over what really happened. And, um, you know, it's just... Uh, yeah, it's it's another historical um, story of the the failure of prohibition. Uh, we really thank you guys for joining us. Thank you, Abe. Well, I'm I'm happy to have participated. Uh, happy to continue the dialogue. Keep up the good fight. And uh, and I'll, to my wife, I'll say I love you, baby, and I'll see you in a week. I yeah. love you, honey. Bye. Yeah, well, and you know, I'm sure. Uh, you know, I know you guys don't like to toot your own horn, but. Uh, if we could find a way to make it known, uh, Barry and your son, in the place that you are, what you guys went through, I'm sure that uh, the genuine, compassionate New Zealanders uh, would more than make up for it in the hospitality that they would return to you. So if you find yourself in the South Island or uh, maybe off air, we can figure out where you are and send you toward some uh, more uh, compassionate-minded humans. Uh, they do exist in New Zealand. Um, just not in customs or the government. Um, but, yeah, thanks again, guys, and um, we're going to leave it there. Thank you, Abe. Thank you. Cheers. Cheers. That was Mitch Stein, and his wife, Barry, uh, went through quite the ordeal with customs. Uh, and our listeners have been...